This talk is supported by SmallPDF, the successful Swiss scale-up making PDF easy for over a billion people around the world since 2013. You may remember them from a previous podcast we hosted with their CEO, Dennis Just. Their mission is to make PDFs and life easy for people across the world, a mission made possible with their 90-plus amazing employees across Zurich, Belgrade and Barcelona. If you want to join this fast-growing Swiss scale-up, visit smallpdf.com forward slash Swisspreneur and apply. The world of a business developer, even in an agency, even in consulting, is very close to being an entrepreneur because you need to understand very fast what people need and you need to offer the right solutions. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Bonjour, Loic. Hey, Very hello. Well, welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Hello, it's a big pleasure to be here. You're the co-founder and CEO at Denteo, a software provider for dentist offices, basically here in Switzerland. Before we talk about your entrepreneurial journey, I want to start with your studies and your personal background. So you studied computer science at the EPFL and then actually worked as an engineer for consulting companies. So I wonder, how did the consulting world shape you? Yes. So I really wanted to gather a maximum of expertise as fast as possible. For me, when I left the academia, it, I had the feeling I knew nothing. And uh, during the side gigs that I did during the studies, I realized how there was this whole world to understand and it's super complex. And so consulting was a great way to be there. Mm -hmm. But then after many years in this, I realized that um, working for a daily rate and always uh, having to, to, to look for that daily rate, to make sure you have uh, work on the next week, on the next month, and then later for your team is very tiring. And I wanted something else. Well, you said at the beginning, you know, that you realized that you knew nothing or very little. That's quite shocking. I mean, you study for three or five years here in Switzerland. Then you go out to the world and you think, I should be ready for the world, but you're actually not. Can you describe that a bit more, how that felt? Yes. Yeah, so I felt very ready for the world, but I felt like I had this uh, brain or these tools to think very fast, to find solution to every problem. But what the industry needed this I didn't study. So it wasn't a source of stress, but it was a thirst of going away from academia, really learning the real stuff. So you actually took that as a positive thing to go yes. you know, further and, and go to the next development area. Yeah, I, I loved my studies. Mm -hmm. I loved the transition to the industry. And I also I, I've been very thankful later on to see that actually the studies gave me all the tools. Right. But this feeling of not knowing or not understanding has been a big driver for many things, actually. And then you actually had a, quite a break, right? Because then you decided to switch from the consulting work to the Impact Hub in Zurich, where you actually started in 2015. So was this sort of your first touch with the entrepreneurial world? Yes. So my father is an architect and he has his own little office with always one employee. So he's an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. but in a more traditional way. And it's, it was always an inspiration to be your own boss, but I had no clue about uh, startup environments. And, and for like 15 years, 20 years, 
there was no startup culture at the university. Sure, yeah. And so the consulting was like the only interesting way out for me. I was very ignorant. I, I believe that. But it's true that uh, when I stopped the consulting, I didn't target the impact hub. I said anything but not consulting. And, uh, and it was a big luck to land there. I learned a lot very fast. So that was more of a coincidence than that you ended up there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And now you basically saw both worlds, right? You had the engineer at heart. You studied engineering, you worked as an engineer, but now you also saw this business, the entrepreneurial world. So how did the two compare to each other? <laughs> so I think the consulting prepared me for entrepreneurship quite well because mm -hmm. I became, after like five years of development, I became project manager and then business developer. And I think the, the world of a business developer, even in an agency, even in consulting, is very close to being an entrepreneur mm -hmm. because you need to understand very fast what people need and you need to offer the right solutions. And every time you have those pitch, you need to sell yourself. It's fast paced. It's going, it's going really fast in to tons of different topics. And that's a very good school, actually, to be, a, to be an entrepreneur later on. Right. And I also wonder, you mentioned your dad was an architect, so an entrepreneur by himself. Is that where your motivation comes from, to be an entrepreneur yourself? Or what would you say, where does it exactly come from? Yes, um, I think the biggest motivation is a bit of a rebel side of myself, that I, I'm not very uh, at ease with hierarchy and with doing stuff that I don't agree to do. Right. And so this uh, being my own boss, that was the romantic picture of I had of entrepreneurship, you know? <laughs> right. And then with the time, what really motivated me was to build something sustainable. And I, I was like, if I want to really go sustainable, I need to go product. Mm -hmm. And if I want to go product, I want to build my own. And then I became this entrepreneur. So these are the two main drivers. My father is more being like, a, like this, as a kid, and you can go on holiday with your father. Yeah. And he says, you know, I put my project on the side and when we come back, I will, I will get back to it. That was very inspir inspirational. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you also had sort of an entrepreneurial experience already at the university with a student club, right? Yeah. Please tell us a bit more about that <laughs> because I think these experiences, what you're about to share with us, they can really shape you and help you to identify where your true passion might lie. Yeah, it's true. So. I joined in, the, in Lausanne, in the EPFL, there is the bar, it's called Satellite, but it's actually a really quite big association with 50 members and 20 employees with a million revenue. Mm -hmm. And I joined there and two years later, I was president of this. So I realized I have leadership skills and I also love to see, you can build a crappy association or a fantastic association, like a utopia. And the culture you build is actually the most important thing. And now looking back, having this inspirational moment, we really had a, a beautiful utopia going on there. And it really helps me when I think about Denteo. I'm not creating a machinery for success, but also creating a beautiful company that makes right. sense. Yeah. yeah. So you basically realized then through the different paths that you went through, hey, engineering, that was a great starting point, but business, that's really where your real passion is. And then in 2017, you actually founded Denteo. You did that with four co-founders in total, and how do you actually meet them, your co-founders, Georgios, Martin, and Beat? Yes. So basically, I was doing business development at Impact Hub mm -hmm. at the time. And they had built this prototype with the sister of Yorgo, 
solution for dentists. And they had followed a bit the industry during many years. And they came to me and said, hey, look, don't you know a guy like you with a lot of energy that could push that topic because now is the time. Right. So they presented me with the idea, the opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I said, uh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, it's not in my books, but I'm actually thinking about creating my own business. And then I spent half a year to validate whether the idea is good, the potential is good, looking at the prototype, wh whether it was interesting or not. Mm -hmm. And I got blown away. And so we found, we found a way to start together like um, as co-founders. And these guys, if I'm not mistaken, they were coming from an agency, right? Yeah, so the three of them are the, are the creators and, and owners of Panther, this, uh, this agency in Zurich. They are also the co-founders of Impact Hub. So that's also where we met a little. And they are very entrepreneurial. But when you build an agency and you build other business, you need people to take over those pilots, those projects. Right. So Denteo is a bit of a spin-off of this yeah. to put all they did during all those years inside and put it out and with full focus develop that. Because that, that's quite an uncommon setup, right? Usually we hear the stories of two guys or two people met at university. They had mm -hmm. one guy was actually able to sell, the other person was able to build, and then they started a company that way. But having an agency in the background, that's something I very rarely hear as a starting point. How do you make that work? Because that's quite an interesting, but I could imagine also a challenging setup. You know, how you split the shares, you need to then go into the driver's seat, lead the company. How do you split the, the things there at the, at the very early beginning? Yes. So it was interesting because basically every agency dreams of building a product. Right, yeah. So that's the dream, yeah. but almost none do. Mm -hmm. I worked many, many years at Leap. And when I was working, there was a big topic. Years after, they've managed to build now products. And I think they are quite successful with it. But for Panther to build products, to have things outside of the agency is completely part of their DNA. In the same time, it, Dentel was their baby at the beginning. So you needed yeah. a, a good way. And what we did is go for fairness. Mm -hmm. So we started with slicing the pie. Don't know if you know this yeah, method. It's a great methodology. And we had to do it a bit in our, in our way. Yeah. But it worked really, really nice. And... Basically, in the first three years, every year we had to change the governance mm -hmm. of our collaboration and also the ownership of the company, how it was built. And we went, you know, from from this slicing the pie to a, a more like a, a, how you call it, like a vesting plan, mm -hmm. then a reverse vesting plan. So yep. we went through the whole evolution together. And I think that was a big learning time for, for me, also learning about the methods of uh, how to build a company, like in a healthy way. It's not so easy to be fair for everybody. That's yeah. difficult, yeah. <laughs> I mean, in aligning the incentives, that's probably one of the biggest challenges to solve. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And basically there it was somebody had prototype, had a bit of cash. The other one had time and energy right. and commitment. Yeah. And this is the two things that both were looking for. So in, actually, it was a beautiful wedding. And a year after now, I'm super happy it went like this. And uh, over the year, the relationship professionalized a little mm -hmm. bit. Yeah. So I would say today, my co-founder are a bit closer to investors right. than at the first days where we shared everything, we helped each other. Yeah. But it's been, it's been an adventure that has been very healthy all the way. Was there also, you know, were there also challenging times? Because having an agency, having three other people from the agency and you basically the the person running the show you know was that also sometimes a challenge to you know feeling alone or not feeling the recognition that you thought you'd deserve yes uh absolutely 
So there were times where uh, one party wanted a bit more thankfulness from the other party. Right. And it's been going in both directions over time. Yeah. And also some people were a bit too emotionally attached or having almost a romantic picture of the product. And we had to cut to, to you know cut the cord at some stage. Yeah. But there has been many challenges. But all in all, I think it's been a very harmonic uh, yeah. way forward. So challenges, but no real disagreements. Yeah, no, disagreements, okay. but good solutions. Okay, perfect. So you don't change three times the governance of the company, of the relationship, if everything is, uh, is blue sky. Yeah. But I think that's also you need to have co-founder who can think, who can yes. go out of what they had to think, what, how could we do it better? And this has been big changes and it's been uh, intensive, but it's all worth it in the end. Great. <laughs> So you actually work in the dental industry, right? So I just wonder, of course, you heard how everything happened, how they approached you with the idea, but what particularly interested you about the dental industry? Because that's not a very common industry to go into with a startup, I could imagine. Yes. So actually, what's, what, what was really interesting, and uh, I love to tell that to my clients, but it's like, it's dentistry. So if it fails... I, it was not too important to me. So I went in there mm -hmm. without too much pressure. I didn't join in in the field where I had my passion. So I have no link to dentistry. I'm completely ignorant. Mm -hmm. And this was in the same time a bit of a risk, but at the same time a liberation. The second thing is uh, underserved niche market. It's really interesting. That, that's powerful. And it is powerful. And in the same time, we aligned we the co-founder and the partners of the company, so the early employees that became partner over time, mm -hmm. we have a life. We had kids when we started, so we couldn't go like uh, 200 person from the start. We had to be healthy from the start. Going in an industry that you don't know and that is a bit conservative, where we understood the potential, mm -hmm. allowed us to also go at our own rhythm. Because yeah. it's not because you're ready that the industry is ready. And being in this conservative field really gave us a bit, uh, let's say, a bit less pressure to mm -hmm. advance. We had time to understand and we could, we could do it step by step, let's say, with the industry, with the growth of our understanding. Yeah. And it felt very, very good, actually. And that's very interesting because very often we hear that people say, I want to start with my own problem, with my own needs and solve them and then build a company around that. But for you, there was no attachment to that industry, to the problem that you were solving. So that's really interesting that this yeah. also works if that's not the case. I, I believe, it's a big belief I have. I'm very agnostic in everything I do. But the how you do it and also building a meaningful company, that's absolutely fascinating. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a true believer that I could build plastic tubes for, uh, for <laughs> any industry or you know yeah. anything. If you get in there and you really right. give your energy to understand the problems, to understand situation, it can be fascinating. Sure. And for me, the, the passion lies in building this meaningful company or having also a good culture in the company, but also into understanding and then finding good solution. And there I don't really care what the original problem is because yeah. I think most problems are interesting to solve, actually. Yeah. Fair point. Yeah. It's a refreshing perspective. Good. <laughs> so please also talk a bit more about the market. You know, um, often we hear or we even see it ourselves if you go to the dentist or the doctor that there's still a lot of paper, pen and paper, actually, so it's not really a digitized world, although the technical possibilities are out there. So how was that when you started out? Were you shocked or did you see a lot of potential? Yeah, so a lot of potential, absolutely. 
I think it's a bit more digitalized than we think, but mm -hmm. it's been it's been digitalized of this first wave of digitalization. It's been digitalized in the 90s. So the players in the dental, they all have 35 years old company and they've been doing this one solution that has kind of consolidated in Switzerland. So there are like four companies, but they basically all do the same, okay. different flavor of the same, you know, this big server structure and right. uh, ap Windows application with tons of fields. And it's, right. if you are a power user, it can be very powerful, but if you have to get in, you have no chance to get not it. Not that fun. Yeah, not that fun. <laughs> and what has been in the same time a challenge and a learning is that while the whole uh, company structures that we observe are a bit obsolete, the mm. costs are too expensive, it looks a bit crappy, the young employees don't accept those solutions, they are still very popular. Mm. And that's bringing a cloud-based, user-first user approach, you know, supporting workflows and a database. Yeah. And the dentist is like, yeah, but it works perfectly what I have. And this is, yeah. this is a challenge. But that's what we have been uh, tackling in the last five years. And it's actually fascinating. Mm -hmm. We believe in this need. And also the industry sees the needs of, of new kind of era of digitalization, right. new integration possibilities. But the end user is not there yet. Mm -hmm. And we can either wait because it will come, that's for sure. Any expert, any Bain & Company will tell you it's coming. Yeah. But the uh, dentist, it doesn't really have to change currently. Yeah. It's, it is uh, very, very interesting. So there you probably need a lot of education to show them not only that, but also how you are better than the existing solutions out there. So how do you solve that big challenge? Because that's huge. You have to educate, you have to train the market to then potentially win some clients. Yes. So. I think it's all about consistency. It's consistency in the offering, in the communication. Mm -hmm. And also, you can't be the new kid on the block and, and think you're going to be successful. But after five years, if you ask now, people are like, oh, it's for sure, it's the future. Next time I have a problem, I'll come to you. So yeah. it took some time, but currently we don't have to do much uh, effort. What happened also, and that's why we founded the company in 17 and not earlier, mm -hmm. is that the whole acceptance of cloud for critical application has been has been done in Switzerland. So yeah. nobody asks whether Twint is secure or if you e-banking, you know, what you can do in e-banking, whether that's secure or not. Right. It's been, now it is everywhere yeah. and uh, it's very much accepted. Mm -hmm. The question that that is still there, and that's where we have to do tons of work, is why should I change when everything is currently working of course and there we are building uh lots of also offering and and uh arguments mm -hmm. so that actually it's any time is a good time to change <laughs> <laughs> but how do you make then people to believe that you know because if there's no real need or no real pressure to actually change something because yes. it's working mm -hmm. how do you make that switch happen then do you help them with the transition a lot or what, what's your magic bullet there yes so i believe the, there is no need because they don't really look the situation in the eye. Mm -hmm. And in order to look the situation, you have to maybe ask the right questions. Yeah. For example, I give you a little example. In the world of dentistry, there is a lot of generational problems. And the new employees are maybe young dental assistants that come in after the studies. Mm -hmm. They are really highly digital. They spend their time off TikTok yeah. and they arrive in the clinic and they have to land into this old world and they don't want to do that. Right. And it creates animosity. Mm -hmm. And then the, the owner 
he's like, yeah, but I'm, I'm asking them to go hiking and they don't want to, there is, they don't understand those, those generation change. Right. Many are not all. Sure. And then there starts to be lots of tension between the employees and the, and the doctors, for example, in many, many private clinics. It's a trend. It's something that's happening. And we say, did you maybe ask them if they want to go in your world? Or can maybe you should adapt to their world because yeah. there is no way that you will be able to perform without good dental assistant. Right. Being empathic to the person with a bit less experience mm -hmm. is a way to advance because currently they have this blocker, for example. Right. And they don't see the software as a part of the solution. And we tell them, you know, it's a part of the solution. It can be, yeah. It can course. be a part of the solution, right? They, re yeah. they feel welcome if you invested in the, in the technology they understand. Mm -hmm. And this is just an example and there are many, many different ones. Yeah, yeah, perfect. And in, in that regard, you know, it's also an important part when you then convince someone to have a subscription model as you are basically a software as a service mm -hmm. and to identify the right pricing. So I wonder in that regard, how did you figure and also set your pricing? Because that's something that a lot of <coughs> software startups out there struggle with. They have no clue what they could actually charge. Yes. So here we looked at two components. We looked at what is the current pricing of mm -hmm. the industry? And yes, it was, there is no SaaS in dental. Exactly. Yeah. So what we said, we said over five years, if you look at full cost analysis, we want to be half the price. Yep. So be disruptive. Mm -hmm. That was a, a guidance. The second one was what is a price where my business case Excel sheet looks sustainable? Of course. And this became actually our original price mm -hmm. was somehow the right one. So we changed like twice, but really at the beginning. And since then, nobody says that Denteo is cheap, but nobody decided on Denteo and said, ah, I can't afford it. Yeah. And then there are little adaptation. Uh, for example, uh, some specialty have really low revenue in dental as well. Yeah. Like, uh, and so there we need to be a bit cheaper. But for the general practice, our pricing is, uh, is very solid and scales. That's now we validate that with big dental groups, uh, with like maybe a hundred uh, wow. times the size, yeah. the price is also fair. And this is, uh, this is also the great learning of last year, because now we know we can scale at all levels mm -hmm. and our price is solid also for the future. Fantastic. Yeah. I think a very important point that you mentioned there is that if the client thinks about the price, you know, says mm, it's not cheap, but then still purchases it. I think that's exactly the sweet spot where you want to be in. Absolutely, absolutely. And we tried also to make uh, a special deal action. Mm -hmm. And this had no impact at all. Wow. Because okay. we are not in retail. We yeah. are in B2B health. Exactly. And when people trust us with their heart, because what it is, what we are, is the heart of the dental yeah. clinic, then it's not so much about the money. And then sure. the pricing, we, I think we could go higher, mm -hmm. but then it's my own ethics sure. and it's my own model i'm saying with that money we are really we are really good we can offer a good service and it's sustainable so i don't need more yeah yeah and and you know they're basically to increase the price or how you actually work with your customers you basically actually do a value-based pricing if you want to take the outside perspective there because it also scales with the size of the company you mentioned. So if you have if you add more value to a larger group, you also charge more. So I think there you really figured out the pricing in a, in a very good way. Yes. I think there we have a lot to learn with uh, large enterprise clients okay. yeah. because the service we offer is not exactly the same as for a single clinic because True. it's way more complex. Yeah. And somebody has to 
finance those super uh, complex evolution to the software. And we want to be fair to every clinic. Also the small one, they should not subsidize the big ones. Right. So there we'll have evolutions. But uh, you are right that actually the price, we scaled it like a company that makes more revenue, pays more. It's a typical SaaS uh, model. Absolutely. And for dentists, we do it uh, based on the amount of practitioners, okay. practitioners they have. Yeah. Because people who generate revenue is a good signal of the overall Absolutely. revenue of the clinic. I like that a lot. Very simple. Yeah. yeah. Were you ever afraid that you're a nice to have, but not a must have for your clients? You know, that they say, well, it's cool. I like your solution, but I don't really need it. Yes. So I did lots of uh, innovation consulting in the past and mm -hmm. you don't want to be a painkiller, like a vitamin. You want to be a painkiller, exactly. like all this stuff. Yeah. But actually... I think building Dentail, we didn't follow the books of mm -hmm. startups because normally you have to concentrate on a very small aspect. Right. And, but we saw the need for a new heart. <laughs> so we are in the heart business. We are not in the arm or finger business. We are in the heart business. Yeah. And in order to be the heart of a dental clinic, we are solving maybe, we could be 12 startups. Mm -hmm. There is a scheduling aspect. There is an invoicing aspect. There is a medical quality aspect. There is integration aspect. There is, it's, it's really complex. And I think if I, if I was in a course of, of entrepreneur, they would say, that's too much to start. You have to focus one. on one. Yeah, exactly. But nobody wants that. And many have yeah. tried to do only one and they don't get integration because the existing other solution cannot integrate. Right. So the choice was to say, hey, we have to create SAP. <laughs> we yeah. can't start small. Yeah. And it's also, at which speed do we want to work? Yes, it's complex, but it's worth it. It will take a bit of time. Mm -hmm. But that really also worked out with our lifestyles. I think what, what you said, it's so like mind-blowing because you are replacing an existing solution that covers way more than just one thing. And therefore, you have to compete on the same level and be a replacement for all of that. Yeah. and not just one piece. I think that's so crucial because I like focus personally. I also always tell people, focus on one thing, do it very well, Absolutely. but you also have to understand what, what market you are working in, what you are replacing, and that's exactly, if you are replacing just one thing, nobody will switch. Yeah, that's exactly this. Amazing. You need acceptance. And it's always this question of mass size because we have a big vision for the future of dentistry. Yeah. And this vision is only possible or we can only be an actor of this vision mm -hmm. if we can be inside the clinics. Of course. And yeah. clinics don't have time to have aside things sure. that they need to integrate. And currently the whole industry is building like iPad apps and the, the, yeah. the, and the dentist, he doesn't want that. He want, they said there is this term, we want one icon on the desktop. Right. Yeah. But they still want to profit from innovation of dentistry. So sure. our goal is to create those integrations, yeah. of course. And there you with, you know, nice design, easy user experience, there you really do have a big advantage compared to the old players. Yes, and the design for us is very important to also um, make them understand it's very different. Right. But in the end, it's really about the cloud. Yeah. It's really about new ways of doing uh, data security, sure. new ways of doing uh, authentication over different platforms. Yeah. And this architecture topic, the industry has to catch up as well, mm -hmm. but it is coming. And suddenly, I, I, I have to say something like, suddenly the dentist will be like, ah, okay, it makes sense that I join right. this ecosystem. Yeah. Yes. You also said that you do things a bit differently than in the books before. 
And one thing that you also did differently at the beginning, you basically had two jobs when you started out, right? You still had your own agency on the side that you were running and also generating revenue there while also doing the entail at the, as a side thing, basically. So how do you juggle both of them together? And is that a setup that you would recommend or something that you will, would like to change now looking back? Yes, um, I would definitely recommend it if it makes sense. So when does it make so, sense? Yes, I knew exactly that I had no clue about dentistry. Mm -hmm. And so my goal was in, in all quietness without costing money to like while being able to bootstrap. Yep. I wanted to explore this, try to build this product. It would take some time. But in parallel, I have three kids and a house sure. and it needs to run, right? Yeah. And so I've spent 15 years doing consulting. So I said that was the original deal. And that's also what I presented my co-founders. It's like I can give two days a week of my life to Denteo mm -hmm. to explore. And then two days a week, I need to work to yep. finance my whole life. And one day I'm with the kids. I mean, three days with the weekends. Right. And if the consulting wouldn't have worked, I would have had to stop Denteo. And this whole thing played out beautifully. And after two years, I had nonstop mandates on the consulting because I had all these contacts from before and somehow doing okay work, I guess. <laughs> and, yeah. But I stopped. I said I stopped everything because Denteo now has a case, now has some revenue and I can finance my life basic with Denteo. Yeah. So that was also the commitment to the to the partners and to the co-founder to say, I do this this double job as how you call it, as as long as necessary, mm -hmm. but I stop as fast as possible. Nice. And it's uh, been hard because it was very comfortable. Yeah. And you had these two worlds and actually the consulting was really fun. I was doing innovation sure. consulting for large companies in Switzerland. It was a beautiful time. Yeah. But the the time where I said, now it's all in, mm -hmm. it felt also very good. Yeah. But I wouldn't start from the day one of ignorance all in, because then you are lost. Yeah. So this all, for me, I would do exactly the same. But if you are, for example, an, an subject matter expert in the business you start, yeah. and you know exactly what the industry needs because you saw the light, sure. then you should go all in. Yeah. But in our case, where we said, let's build a game changer software for this industry we don't know, yeah. And we will learn from it. And because we don't know, we will listen to their needs. Mm -hmm. Then that was a, an, an optimal setup. I, I love that story, really, because I think it shows so much. So first of all, your three kids, your family was a big driver to that setup. But it's actually also a very smart setup because what you often see is people are enthusiastic. Then they take on investor money very early on. Then they realize, oh, things are not going as planned. And then you're basically with your back to the wall because then you are run out of money. You put everything on one cart, but it's not working. And then you have a lot of pressure that is probably unnecessary. What you did, you said, I take time, so I have no stress. I can take as long as I need to, to make that work. And then eventually it worked out and then you were able to fully switch and commit. I, I love that setup, really. I think more people should consider it that way. Yes, I, I think so too. But it's also some many, many startups, they go on this beautiful time opportunity. And sure. for us, it was a risk, right? To start like this was a risk because if somebody else at the time would have seen the same potential, they would have been, you know, with a bit more knowledge. Right. Or let's yeah. say a super entrepreneurial dentist with a lot of knowledge would have done that. Yeah. This setup would have killed us. So post, it's super easy to say it was ideal. Of course. Uh, but we got lucky on that one. Yeah. And 
we thought about it a lot, mm-hmm. but there was nothing happening in that industry since 30 years. So why now? Of course. Yes. Yeah. So it's a risk we took. And we said, yeah. worst case, we didn't lose a lot of money. Oh, yeah. And we learned a lot. Yeah. And the next one's gonna be uh, it's gonna be better. Yeah. <laughs> I just think, you know, until you find something that's really working, that's actually the ideal setup because then you, you don't pressurize yourself. And as soon as you find something that's working, then take on all the investor money you can, fuel the rocket ship and go all in. But don't do that too early and try to scale too early because before you actually have something that's working. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is, uh, I think, so important. Yeah. But I think there is also, um, there is many innovation that people with a lot of knowledge of an industry know what needs to be done right. and it needs an investment. So there is not this True. exploration, even though there is no market fit. Yeah. And there you will need investor money from yes. the beginning. Yeah. And there is tons of business, maybe in more abstract fields sure. that will need it. But in our case, it's also very, it's very simple case. It's like a case I can explain to my kid. Yeah, right. uh, and it is very um, in Bodeständig, I don't mm-hmm. know in English, uh, to the ground, you yeah. know? And for me, uh, being passionate about, about fintech, crypto, yeah. all these crazy things, how the world is changing, yeah. I wanted to have my, my own business in a very kind of uh, to the ground yeah. that, so that I, I stay on earth mm-hmm. and I don't get lost in abstraction. Of course. And in that case, I think the, the setup we took was, uh, was the right one. And your setup was also being bootstrapped, right? So you really financed yourself for four years, I think. And then last year, you actually raised your seed round. So that's also a very interesting take that I want to talk to you about. Why did you then decide to take on money from investors later down the road? Yes. So there is many different different definitions of bootstrapped. Maybe I just make a little sure, uh, yeah. parenthesis because our co-founder, they did put some money on the table. I also yeah. put some money on the table. So we had original capital, mm-hmm. but not like huge. Yeah. And we, we didn't go for external investors. And in terms of hardship, we sat down together and we put a bit more money from our money. So it's bootstrapping, but with a company, maybe a bit easier than bootstrapping right. with two co-founders coming out of the studies. So of course, yeah. I don't take all the, the merit on this. We had a bit of, yeah. of, of capital. But what was interesting is that the vision of the company was to create the best software for Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And after two years that we were doing this, we realized that what is true in Switzerland is true in the whole of the world, basically. Right. And we understood also the better the market around us and the industry and also the needs of the industry. And then it became obvious that if we want to have a true impact in dentistry, we need to accelerate. And there for us, it was looking for capital was the way to go. And we didn't look for VC money. We looked for, um, let's say, smart industry money. Mm -hmm. And this was also a very important thing for us, basically on the speed that we want to do. And we want to change dentistry for the long term not have uh, more SaaS revenue short. It's very long-term, the whole thing. And, and there, I guess, you also have this you know, question whether you want to be profitable or you want to have a, a strong and fast growth. So did your take there change in any way by now taking on investor money? Yes. So we realize, and we'll see where it, where it ends, but actually we are in the growing the pie phase mm-hmm. So we see that the potential we can have, the change we can have is always larger, more than uh, consolidating markets. Right. And we see in Switzerland, 
we always say now Switzerland, it's if everything fails, we can go back to Switzerland. This doesn't go away. Right. So the, the, the having more margin or more revenue is very reachable. But currently, we, we really focus on the growth, on the making the pie bigger or making the potential impact uh, larger. And it will take time. Growing means Switzerland is too small, so you also have to go abroad. Absolutely. So there is this uh, going international, mm-hmm. very central, and this is what we, what we do currently, and also having a larger definition of what we do. Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, PMS, Practice Management Software, that's what we do. In the last 30 years, it's been about calendar, documentation, and invoices. Yeah. But we say it should be about medical excellence and it should be about patient experience. And if you combine administration with patient experience and medical excellence, you get a whole new dimension of what it can be. It can be a communication tool. It can be a tool for the dentist to acquire more leads. You move from infrastructure to uh, revenue generating. It's super interesting. And this took us years to understand also the, the right mix of what should be the heart of a practice. And I could imagine in that regard, you now have two growth paths, right? You can go international, you can expand geographically, but on the other hand, you can also say, we want to build additional services on the already existing platforms and then generate more revenue with those additional services. Is it possible to do both at the same time? <laughs> I'll tell you by the end of this year. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it is, it has been, and it is our biggest challenge yeah. is to balance the opportunities. Mm-hmm. And it is in the same time very beautiful that we have these this two or three tracks of opportunities, but uh, you cannot grow a cube all at once. You need to go one line, then sure. the other, but we try to have uh, two or three tracks in parallel. It's it. really interesting. <laughs> As you did basically in the early days and also you know, during your studies, you have also been working, so... Always yeah, multitasking. That's the, the red line there. Maybe, yeah. It's, I think it's... Uh, we always say, you know, being naive is dangerous, mm-hmm. but it's also super exciting. And <laughs> I don't want to stop being naive or optimist. Yeah. And there is the team so important. We need to yeah. stay on the ground. So my CTO, for example, is an absolute balance to my mm-hmm. optimism. Yeah. And through this exchange, we are six partners in the company and we, we have a, a lot of exchange talking about the risk, talking about the fears, talking about the dreams. Mm-hmm. And we need to balance this. And you can't just dream, but you also can't just be realistic. Of because course. then you just, yeah, yeah you, you miss opportunities. Yeah. And this is actually the hardest part of, uh, of building a healthy company, I think. This balance, yes, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Now, if you look at the numbers, you have more than 200 clinics as customers. You grew from zero to 16 employees. Also closed already more than 1 million in revenue after just uh, year three, basically. And you also closed the 4 million seed round. So a lot of achievements, it's going very well. But now, of course, you also wonder, despite the product and the geographical expansion, what do you have planned over the next few months? What's yeah. the top priority for you? Yeah, so we see that actually um, the more success you have, the more complexity there is, the more opportunities there is. Mm-hmm. And the biggest challenge is to stay healthy. So stay healthy on a personal level, like each people. And that's yeah. something we are, we are uh, having uh, challenges currently also with in the last months we had uh, 14 cases of covid of 16 employees wow. because we all managed to not have it yeah everything and opened and we time. all got smashed yeah and this has been very hard yeah. um, it's also a good kind of uh, ring the bell about being healthy mm-hmm. 
Then you also need to grow healthily technologically. So we are a tech company. The right. operation is evolving very fast. Uh, we just did like a large security audit to make sure we are on good track. Then you need to implement, you need to go on it, you need to assure stability. Uh, the cloud services have this beautiful uh, chance of, of being central and therefore very efficient. But this centralization is also a risk. So then you need to take it very seriously. And I think there is stages in the company where you need to do the right investments mm -hmm. so that you don't kind of um, take unnecessary risks. Yeah. And we know that the world we're living in is complex. IT is complex, business is complex, regulation is complex, and we are in the mix of all this. So growing healthily is super challenging. And yeah. our vision is crystal clear, so we don't need to explore. Our potential also through, through different markets is crystal clear. We yeah. just need to execute. So the whole challenge is to execute beautifully. Yeah. And it's not easy. No, that's the difficult part, of <laughs> Absolutely. course. But I also like your analogy there. Like first it's about building, growing, etc. But now once you hit a certain level, it's also about being healthy because the business, the snowball is already quite big. So yes. you're uh, on a good path there. And I wonder, now you have an investor on board, right? And uh, technically, your business is growing. You seem to disrupt the market and get rid of the old players. What if somebody would like to acquire Dentail one day? Yeah, so it's not at all our goal. We all want to build this, uh, this long-term project, mm -hmm. but we are also open to everything. So if it right. makes sense, and it, I think it, an exit is probably the same thing as an investment. It needs to be smart. And if it's great for our customers, great for the future of dentistry, great for us, then we have to be smart. Of course. Yeah. And I, I really don't, uh, you know, there is this whole exit-driven development mm -hmm. that is happening a lot. And we don't like this. But I think if you execute beautifully, this option always, is always Of course. There. Then you are even more attractive as a potential target. Yeah. And, and I think we are not there yet at all. Because yeah. we have to prove, now we understood, we have to execute. Right. And we, are, we haven't yet executed. We are not in 10 countries. Yeah. So I think we have a lot of work to do before we get uh, realistic in that field. Absolutely. Yes. I like that approach <laughs> a lot. That's uh, you know, very empathetic. Mm. So before we wrap up the episode, I have two more parts for you. The first one is about your personal resources and gadgets recommendations. Do you have any books, blogs, podcasts, or anything that you can recommend to our listeners? <clears throat> yes. So what I think is there is this whole kind of uh, romantic picture of entrepreneurship. And this I would all drop. There is way too much of this. Okay. And I really like the realistic, the hard thing about hard things from Horowitz, for example, yeah. is a bit my book that I always quote. It's right there in the back. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and it's, it's, it was for me a really eye-opener. It's amazing. And some past, some old quotes, or even the life of Elon Musk, I think is very solid. Even though now it's the richest guy in the world, he was a, this past that he had was super inspiring. And there was really not much bullshit along the way. It's mm. been hard work all around, you know, from the early days. Right. And he said this quote, and maybe that's the one that is currently very much in my head, is about building a company is like eating glass and looking into the abyss. And wow. it's... It is, it is tough, you know? Yeah. And I think um, looking for capital is one aspect, but it's super not important. It's super mm -hmm. not central. I think finding a way where you can align your life is the way. So there are lots of books about how to be long-term 
about uh, your entrepreneurial journey, mm -hmm. how to be healthy. And yeah. I would say there is so much resources. Just taking time to read would be my advice. Because yeah. it's so yeah. easy to not read and just advance of and course. staying ignorant and going on and then Always explode. keeping busy. Yeah, yeah exactly. So just take time to read. Uh, very, very good. And do, yes, I think that's it for now. Great. For, on that part. <laughs> so then let's uh, wrap up with some rapid fire questions for you. I either give you an option to choose from or a quick question you have to answer in one sentence. Okay. You're ready? I'm ready. So first one, what was your worst ever trip to the dentist? <laughs> I, I thought about that one because uh, it's the question everybody asks. And actually, I never <laughs> had a good trip to the dentist. Never? No, I mean, to sell dental, yes. But okay. as a patient, it's yeah. been horrible. But maybe I tell you one short one. Of course. When I was a student, I was in this competition between APFL and ETH, sport competition called mm -hmm. Challenge. And in the evening, there are big parties. During the day, I broke two tooths, the two front teeth. Wow. And I had to go to the emergency at the dentist. And the guy wanted to make me the injection to uh, the anesthesis, anesthetics. And I th he said, but then you can't drink for two days. And I was going for a massive party. And I did the whole treatment without <laughs> anesthetic. And they had to cover the nerve, the open nerves with some, uh, some provisorium. And it's been very, very horrible. There was somebody holding my hand. Right. But then it was worth it because the, the party, the was, party was insane and I did my only uh, dige, uh, stage diving in my life. That's, <laughs> That's a people, they said, he didn't go for the anesthetics to make a party. And I yeah, jumped from this. It was a very uh, highlight of my life, actually. Yeah, you still a great story to tell, certainly. <laughs> Absolutely. How many hours of sleep did you get last night? Nine. Wow, nice. Yes, I tell that to my co-founder. Uh, when it's a rough time, you have to prioritize sleep. Yeah. And I prioritize sleep over everything, mm -hmm. if I can. Yeah. And yes, nine hours. And besides sleep, how do you take good care of yourself? Yeah, currently I'm really bad at it. Okay. Um, it's been very hard the last months. And it's been working a way too much, sinking constantly. But normally I spend hours on my bike. Nice. Yes, in January it was 600 kilometers in my in my in my basement wow. on the bike. It felt yeah. amazing, yeah. but it goes away very fast if yeah, you don't constantly think. That was January yeah. and February was, I completely went in the rabbit yeah. hole of working too much. So staying healthy is every day's work. There's uh, the consistency that you mentioned earlier. Tough. <laughs> Settling down with a project or staying a serial entrepreneur? Serial entrepreneur in the same project. Okay. Because I, I said, if I don't get new dimensions, new excitement, I'll probably be gone. Right. But I don't need uh, to change. Yeah. yeah. And if you could give your EPFL self an advice, what would you tell to your younger self? <laughs> yes. Uh, read more. Yeah. Read more and, uh, and look for the stuff you don't know a bit more. I was very ignorant, mm -hmm. absolutely ignorant then. And the last one for you, growth or profit? growth easy now easy. with the investor on board <laughs> no no always <laughs> always growth you yeah. can ask i i hate money okay <laughs> i'm not in there for the money never i love to have big impact growing and uh, seeing the development yeah absolutely that's Amazing. why i do this like that has been a lot of fun thank you so much for coming and all the best lots of success and hope to talk to you again in the future wow thanks a lot that was fast We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. 
This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs.